Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today from Johannesburg is Dr. Yumna Minty, who is a specialist psychiatrist and also lectures in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of the Witwatersrand. Welcome to the show. Hi, and thank you for this opportunity. I'm very excited. Dr. Minty, when I was doing my research on you for this program, I came across a wonderful quote on your website, which says, being able to be your true self is one of the strongest components of good mental health by Dr. Lauren Fogel Mercy. Please tell us why you chose that quote. Um, yeah, so, I mean, for me, mental health is not just about the absence of illness. So, you know, we don't only talk about mental health if we say somebody doesn't have depression or anxiety or, or whatever, um, but rather mental health should be referring to the kind of state of mind and state of being where somebody is functioning at an optimal level, be it socially or personally or occupationally. Um, it, you know, refers to the idea that somebody feels whole and fulfilled inside and is able to take some kind of enjoyment out of life and able to contribute meaningfully to their own lives and that of others um, if they choose to do so. And therefore, I think being true to oneself and recognizing your own strengths and your potential and what you are able to achieve and what you want to achieve and then having your actions follow through on that is an important step towards achieving mental health and subsequently being at peace with yourself. That's such a great statement. Can you tell us a bit more about some of the types of conditions that you treat in your practice? Okay, so psychiatric disorders fall into quite a broad spectrum of disorders, and I think they can, they can tend to look quite diverse in their presentations. Um, as psychiatrists, we would be seeing patients from the very young with certain types of disorders, to the not so young who would have different types of disorders. And this obviously then varies based on the age and the setting in which we see the patient. Um, the most common types of disorders that myself and other psychiatrists would be seeing are the anxiety and depressive disorders, um, things like bipolar disorder, and quite commonly in the South African context, post-traumatic stress disorder, and then also obsessive compulsive disorders, other disorders like psychotic disorders or schizophrenia. Um, I think it's also important to mention that as a backdrop to psychiatric illness, um, we often find issues like substance abuse um, and trauma having been experienced somewhere along the lifespan. And a lot of the disorders or the illnesses that we treat is going to have that um, somewhere in the context. Um, in addition to this, in older patients, we may also help treat and manage other conditions such as dementias or other conditions of old age. And is there anything in particular from a psychiatric disorder that affects women or that women are at more risk from or, or predisposed to? Oh, definitely. Um, I like this question because I'm quite passionate about women's mental health. And if you gave me the opportunity, I'd probably talk for days about this. Um, but in general, overall, what we know is that women are at least two to three times more likely to develop a psychiatric disorder in their lifetime when compared to men. Um, certain conditions we know are more common in women. So things like depression, anxiety, 
PTSD and eating disorders. And I'll get into the reasons for that just now. But firstly, I think it's important to look at these figures. So when I say women are two to three times more likely to experience a, a psychiatric disorder, I think it's important to look at these figures in the context of the consequences of mental illness and untreated mental illness. So what we also know from leading research published in Lancet is that mental illness contributes quite significantly to the global burden of disease and what is generally called disability-adjusted life years. So this is sort of like a research description that um, looks at the amount of time in years that is lost due to ill health and, and not being productive or living a productive life. So basically, what we're saying is that mental illness may not kill you the same way like cancer or a stroke or diabetes, for example, but it can make for quite an unfulfilled and an unhealthy and an unproductive life. So if we consider that women carry the greater burden in terms of mental illness as compared to men, I think we can appreciate then that women carry a large part of their disability. When we look at, like I said, having an unproductive or an unfulfilled or just a poor quality of life. And if we also have to consider for, for, for other reasons that women also enjoy less access to healthcare than males, Basically, what we're saying is that there are a large number of women out there who have sort of been resigned to suffering from a mental illness and suffering from anxiety or depression or whatever that may be, and the consequences thereof, and are not able to access treatment, um, but are, are living quite a poor quality of life. And when you're talking about going through these experiences, suffering from mental health conditions, are women necessarily aware that they are experiencing these issues or they've just accepted that something's changed in their life? You know, I think that's quite a, a broad contextual sort of answer. So, I mean, women may definitely be aware of these changes and, you know, the changes of the, um, you know, in their feelings and their functioning. As we like to say, women are, are sort of more um, I don't want to use the word emotional, but perhaps more in tune with their emotions. So, you know, maybe quite aware of, of what they've been experiencing. But I think the travesty in all of that is then being able to access um, the care and being recognized as well. So, you know, having um, going to somebody or, or having those concerns validated um, and recognized and then being able to, to have the treatment. I think that often tends to be a big concern. Sorry to interrupt you because you were going through and you were about to tell us about some of the um, core disorders that women experience. Yeah, so so um, as I mentioned, women often experience things like anxiety, depression, PTSD, and, and eating disorders. And when we look at the factors around that, I think we can kind of consider them as like inherent factors in females and then environmental factors, which I think are much more important. Um I mean, women go through a lot in terms of their, their physical and their mental health from an early age. So, I mean, from getting your first period and then the, the hormonal fluctuations that happen monthly after that to experiences like pregnancy and childbirth and then menopause and all of these sort of bodily fluctuations that can then contribute to, um, to psychological difficulties and psychological distress. Um, these can, can predispose women to developing a mental illness. But when we look at the external or the environmental factors, um, for me, this is more significant because these are the things that we can change. So what we know, for example, is that women are subjected to many environmental stresses. Women are more at risk or rather girls are more at risk of sexual abuse or physical abuse from a young age. Um, in some societies and cultures, women are 
um, physically abused or, or emotionally neglected in favor of the male children. Um, we also know that girls are less likely to be educated to the same extent as boys. Um, and then this then leaves them vulnerable to economic and to difficult sort of economic and societal circumstances. Um, women are more likely to be sexually abused or exploited both emotionally, um, physically, or even economically um, at a later age. Um, in a modern society, what we also know is that women bear dual burdens in terms of their responsibilities at home, as well as their responsibilities in terms of, of engaging in economic activities or developing a career for themselves. Um, other sort of more modern problems we have are things like social media um, and the pursuit of this physical sort of perfection um, and the enormous pressure it may place on young women to conform to a certain sort of ideal. And when we consider all of these things together, these burdens and circumstances, which if we think of it are quite unique to a woman's experience, um, all of this then has the potential to increase the risk of developing burnout, um, breakdowns, increased stress. And if we put those into medical terms, basically we're saying that it increases the risk of developing disorders like anxiety, depression, PTSD, and the like. You've given us such a broad range of factors and this view of, yes, there's some internal elements which we really don't have any control over and largely as a result of hormones. But there are a tremendous amount of external environmental factors mm. that we can manage and should be managing better to help uh, alleviate uh, the possibility of, of having a disorder. Turning more towards yourself, what made you decide to specialize in psychiatry? Um, I like to say to people that I ended up as a psychiatrist by default. Um, so I knew that I always enjoyed psychiatry as a medical student um, and then as an intern, but it wasn't something that I seriously thought of pursuing at the time. Um, but when I finished my internship in community service, at that point, I was married, I had a young child, and I found myself feeling a little bit lost about, you know, what, what step what steps to take next in my career. And I was fortun fortunate enough to get a post in psychiatry. And, you know, I kind of thought to myself, well, I don't hate it. So I might as well do this and then and then see where I end up. Um, and I honestly have not looked back since then. Um, it feels a little bit like a calling, you know, that I, I found my place and I found where I belong. Um, I can say with absolute certainty that I love my job and I love how I get to make a difference to people, um, not just for the patient um, himself or herself, but, you know, the kind of like knock on effects of um, working on somebody's mental health and then how that contributes to like the family circumstances or the society circumstances. Um, and I think, you know, we've, we've kind of like lost sight of the importance of mental health because we have such um, bigger or well, what we think are such bigger problems to deal with. So, you know, physical health and economic difficulties and other sort of societal concerns that we under-recognize the importance of mental health and how that underpins a lot of things. Um, yeah, and, and that's why I feel I like to focus on it. Look, I think it's such an important calling and it's such an important aspect of our life. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, and today we're talking to Dr. Yumna Minty, who is a specialist psychiatrist and also lectures in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of the Witwatersrand. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Dr. Minty, as we were discussing the, you know, both in terms of, of your role, the work that you do, the type of disorders that you treat, 
And looking at some broader statistics, according to the World Health Organization, in 2019, one in every eight people or 970 million people around the world were living with a mental disorder, with anxiety and depressive disorders being the most common. In 2020, the number of people living with anxiety and depressive disorders rose significantly because of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm curious to know, did you observe a, a similar phenomena in your practice? I can say most definitely um, I have, and I'm sure other psychiatrists feel the same. Um, quite rightly, um, this sort of secondary rise in mental illness in the aftermath of COVID is being referred to as the second pandemic. Um, and that shows how, how severe it is. Um, we've seen a rise in, in all types of mental disorders since the pandemic, um, more significantly anxiety as well as PTSD. Um, and if we think about it, a lot of factors have contributed to this. So, I mean, people have lost um, loved ones and close family members and often didn't have closure around these circumstances. Um, the feelings of isolation and uncertainty, job losses and financial instability. And then obviously, um, having contracted COVID during that time period has also contributed to, you know, that, that mental burden that then puts individuals at risk. Um, something that I found quite interesting in terms of the rise of mental illness post-COVID is that it isn't only in people who have been directly affected by COVID. Um, it's also affected people. So, so, for example, I've seen people in my practice who have never contracted COVID, um, didn't end up in hospital, didn't experience the loss of a close family member, but also still experiences such significant anxiety um, as a result of, of having lived through the pandemic. Um, so it, it is quite a serious concern. Trying to see a silver lining in <laughs> things do you think that the rise in mental health diagnoses is actually helping to destigmatize mental health conditions? Um, I want to say yes and no. Um, actually, I'm going to say yes, because I do believe that there's definitely much less stigma surrounding mental illness. Um, people are more open to talking about it, and it has become much more acceptable to disclose a mental illness to other people. Um, if we look at recent news reports, for example, both locally and internationally, um, we find many high-profile individuals talking about their mental health diagnosis. Um, we've seen lots of suicides reported in the news and this conversation around, around mental illness. Um, my sort of concern with this is, you know, what should have come about as a consequence of lessening the stigma um, should have been greater access to mental health care services um, and greater recognition of the importance of mental health and treating mental health or treating mental illness rather effectively. Um, but we don't seem to have caught up yet. Earlier, you spoke about some of the environmental factors that affect women in particular. Mm -hmm. If I can ask you, as someone who is a mom, someone who is a working professional, someone who really works in this field of, of psychiatry and is exposed to so many types of, of different cases, what would be your top three mental health tips to help women? Um, okay, so number one, I think um, my, my first tip would be to lead a healthy lifestyle. So mental health isn't only about taking pills and therapy sessions, um, but 
we know that a healthy mind promotes a healthy body and vice versa. So making healthy choices around your lifestyle, your eating and your relationships, for example, is important. So, you know, to, to live a healthy lifestyle. Secondly, I think it's important for women to know that um, there is no shame in asking for help if you need it and it doesn't make you weak. And thirdly, what I'd say to women is to be there for each other. So I think women need to support other women. If you have the resources to assist another woman in need, then do so, um, because that's going to benefit her mental health as well as yours. One of the things that I really pick up in this conversation is that it's not only about the individual, but it's about the knock-on effect of, of others and how having good mental health um, impacts on this, this sort of ripple effect. Mm, yes. I mean, if we, we think of psychiatry and, and mental health disorders, um, a lot of the difficulty um, is around how we relate to other people, um, how it affects our relationships, how we're able to contribute meaningfully to society. And that is, if you think about it, not an individualistic, but quite a, um, a sort of a collectivist sort of experience. Um, there's quite a social aspect to psychiatry and mental health, which I think we we can tend to lose sight of when we consider sort of individual curative aspects of medicine. Um, but in the broader sort of context, um, you know, we should be considering the effect it has on, on all of us as a whole. In our program, Womanity, Women and Unity, it really is about celebrating women's achievements, um, their advances across the different spectrum, whether it's human rights, whether it's in the political space, whether it's in the academic world, the medical world. Can you tell us about some of the obstacles that you've encountered as a woman developing her career and importantly, how you overcame them? Um, so I think that, you know, for all of us, obstacles are part of life, um, whether big or small, but I think it's it's how we view them um, and how we take them on um, in, in terms of, of personal experience. I mean, coming from, from quite a conservative background, both religiously and culturally um, could have been viewed, I suppose, as an obstacle to my career path. Um, but I'm quite thankful for the support I had from family and friends along the way, um, which, you know, allowed me to overcome that and, and sort of achieve my dreams. Um, in addition to that, I think being a, a female in medicine, is also quite difficult. Um, it places enormous demands on your mental state as well as your physical capabilities. Um, and this, this has been an obstacle at times. Um, to be honest, certain specialities in medicine give the impression of being sort of very male-centered and male-dominated. Um, I'm thankful that psychiatry isn't one of them, but um, having to complete my internship and my training, I still did have to rotate through these specialities and, you know, pass to a certain degree um, and, you know, have a certain amount of achievement um, and training in those specialities. Um, but I think it's important in terms of overcoming obstacles to not lose sight of the end goal. Um, if you feel quite strongly about achieving something, um, you should then hold on to that, I think, and not allow anything or anyone to discourage you from that goal. Um, instead, if you can, rather surround yourself with people who are supportive of your needs and goals and people who are going to help you work towards achieving them. Um, and like I said before, any obstacle is, is often just about how you view it um, and how you find a path around it. On the notion of minority, of 
being part of a conservative religion. Do you find, or rather, do you feel that you've broken a stereotype? Um, I'd, I'd like to think so, I suppose. But, um, you know, there, there are those that have come before me, in a way. Um, so I've, I've, I'm fortunate enough, I think, to walk in some, some pretty big footsteps um, and to work towards um, continuing with that sort of legacy and continuing in that same mold. Um, and I think collectively, when there's a, a large sort of group of, of people from, like you said, a minority sort of population who work towards the same goal, I think it makes it easier for those following on um, and those that come after us um, to break those sort of stereotypes and then be able to empower each other and contribute meaningfully. And thinking about the broader spectrum of women in general, in your opinion, what do you think we need to build on to benefit women optimally in the future? Um, I wish there was a magic wand that we could just wave, you know, to fix the multitude of problems that women face, not just in South Africa, but, you know, around Africa and globally as well. Um, but in the absence of that, um, I think a good starting point, I feel, um, from a societal point of view, again, is that we start off by changing our attitudes about women um, and then work from there. So, you know, we, we often appreciate and acknowledge the worth of a female in society as a caregiver or a child bearer or, you know, someone to cook and clean and look after the household. But I think there's so many more things that we need to be able to acknowledge um, in terms of the enormous potential and worth that females have. Um, for example, in both the informal and formal economic sectors or viewing women as sources of experiential knowledge and wisdom and viewing women as, you know, sort of the glue and fabric that binds our families and our societies together and raises and, and nurtures new generations. And I think what is also important, coupled with that, is to focus on education of females. For me, I think that's where it all starts. Um, to sort of nurture the education of females and give them this potential and move towards giving them economic freedom and independence so that they can then take control over their own destinies. Um, I think we can, we can all sort of broadly acknowledge that women are often in a position where they are seen as lesser than males or less important than males or subjugated in a way. And I think this has enormous consequences for them in terms of how their lives play out, um, in terms of their risks and their vulnerabilities and then their quality of life. And I think, you know, we've moved into the 21st century quite a while ago. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's important now that we, we try and catch up in terms of, of how we view women and how we support them. You've really given a view of the multidimensionality of women. And the reality is we are operating in a modern world and mm -hmm. things need to change. We can't be living in the past anymore. No, I, I agree 100%. And like I said, um, you know, it's not, um, I suppose it's not so much for me about equality, but about recognizing our differences, um, but also how those differences contribute and the fact that it doesn't make women any less important. Um, so while women may be different from men, it doesn't mean that they have less to contribute um, or they have less knowledge or less importance. Um, and I think we should be celebrating those things because they are things that we bring to the table or to the party, I suppose, mm -hmm. that men can't and won't be able to. Um, and we should acknowledge these things. You're reminding me of the book title from uh, Dr. Judy Domini's book, Equal But Different. 
that that is a, a good way to describe it. I think I'm going to use that in the future as well. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, and today we're talking to Dr. Yumna Minty, who is a specialist psychiatrist and also lectures in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of the Witwatersrand. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Dr. Minty, turning more towards a personal focus, and you'd tapped in considerably in our last uh, question on education. You acquired your medical degree from Wits University. You did your clinical internship at Baraguanath. You then worked for the South African Military Health Service before rejoining the academic circuit. You obtained a fellowship in psychiatry from the College of Medicines, as well as your master's degree in medicine in the field of psychiatry at Wits. You lecture at Wits. You're involved in both undergraduate and postgraduate medical teaching and supervising master's research. Professional development from a personal perspective, as well as developing others, really seems to be part of your agenda. It is. Um, I'm, I'm quite passionate about learning, both for myself um, as well as in others. And this is, is a big reason for why I've chosen to stay in, in an academic circuit. Um, I enjoy the teaching aspect of it. Um, one of the, um, the things that always sticks with me um, is a saying that is generally often attributed to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, um, which says that an individual should seek knowledge from the cradle until he or she reaches the grave. Um, basically saying to us that, you know, there's no time or point in our lives where learning and knowledge becomes obsolete or it ends at any point. Um, and this is something I always feel I try to live by. Um, if we think about it, the world's always changing, our situations are changing, our opportunities are changing. And if we don't keep up with it, um, I think we're doing a disservice to ourselves. Um, Education is always important, no matter your age. And I think from an academic point of view, it's important to keep up because medicine also is an ever evolving sort of, of um, discipline. Um, there are always newer techniques and, you know, for treating things, newer medications, newer illnesses or diagnoses being discovered. Um, and if we keep ourselves up to date, or if I kept myself up to date, this means that I'm also able to pass those benefits along onto my patients um, and I'm able to treat my patients better. Um, yeah, so it's, so it's something I'm quite passionate about. Um, at the moment, um, as I've mentioned, I'm also quite passionate about women's mental health. So I'm also furthering my studies um, in perinatal mental health. So I'm, I'm basically working towards a specialization around mental health issues in pregnant females or postpartum females. Um, because that's also an area I'm quite passionate about. Thank you for sharing all of those elements. And I find it so exciting and fascinating how everything evolves and how disciplines are changing. And you're right, if we are not on the mix, if we're not keeping up, we'll be left behind and, and well into the past. We spoke about the importance of education in the hands of, of women. Can you tell us how important education has been in your career development? So, you know, I suppose I, I wouldn't be where I am today um, without that sort of constant learning experience along the way. And it isn't just, I think, about formal learning, but, you know, even just informal sort of, um, of um, teaching along the way and, and picking up things and just, I suppose, having an inquiring mind. 
um, and and learning from from experiences and learning from others. Um, it is an important part of of how I've I've ended up here today, I suppose, and it's also something I see for my future. Um, so, you know, if, if I want to continue in this field and I want to continue to make a difference um, and to achieve all of those those things that I want to achieve, it's also something that that I see myself continuing with going forward. One of the questions that I ask all my guests on the show who have really achieved outstanding work in their respective fields is about some of the factors that they consider have contributed to their success. So some people will speak about hard work, perseverance, discipline, values, a, a particular person in their life. And I'll never forget um, when we had Rebecca Molope uh, on the show, hers was fear of failure. So if you could please share with us, in your opinion, what have been some of the key drivers to your success? Um, sure. <laughs> I, I think that's again such a broad question. I mean, there's there's been so much along the way, um, you know, like pivotal moments that um, sort of change your outlook on life, um, and things that sort of shape your your future and your direction in a certain way. Um, I think that underlying all of that, I'm extremely extremely blessed and fortunate to have quite a strong support system. Um, that has held me through all of this um, and that has supported me along the way and, um, you know, helped me to deal with self-doubt and guilt along the way and, and to sort of, uh, you know, um, help me to progress and, and come up to this point. Um, I think that along the way as well, I've met a large number of wonderful women who I've been able to take something from um, and learn something from along the way. And I've been able to internalize all of that and use um those pieces of information to shape my view and and to move forward and I think the idea that we all always evolving and learning um, and becoming better versions of ourselves um, means that we will always continue to move forward so I think if we have that idea behind us that this is not the end um, and we keep moving forward in life I feel for me that's a driving force to you know get up getting up in the morning even if I don't feel like it um, and and just moving forward and feeling for me that this is not the end. Um, I still have things to achieve. And thinking back into the past, can you take us through some of those life-changing pivotal moments? Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to say that there were sort of like big moments along the way. Um, but essentially, I think it's, you know, a series of like little moments um, that have sort of um, cemented for me um, like I said, my support system and my direction in life. So, you know, little things like um, the day I got married or the day I had my son and held him in my arms for the first time um, or the day I qualified as a psychiatrist. Um, all of these little moments for me build up to the point that I am now and that sense of fulfillment I have um, looking at at you know, looking at things around me from the point that I now sit. Um, it's for me the little moments that add up um, and just make it into, you know, the life that you want to live. It's a real journey. And who have been some of the important women in your life? Um, so I think I've, I've been quite blessed to have met many wonderful, important women along the way and have 
you know, I've been blessed to have learned something and taken something from all of them, um, from the women in my family and my community, to the friends that I've made along the course of my life and my studies, um, to the incredible women I'm privileged to work with on a daily basis. Um, funny enough, we are a very um, female-centered department. Um, so in our current psychiatric department, we are mostly females. Um, and I'm privileged to work with a lot of these females on a daily basis who share my interests and my passions in mental health and my, you know, my, my outlook and my views on life. And I think that I've learned something from almost every one of them. Um, and, and I think this is important because by nature, women are so inherently giving. Um, so most women are inherently giving and are quite encouraging and supportive of each other. Um, and I'm grateful to have experienced that from so many women in my life. I get a, a sense that there's a great camaraderie and almost, uh, I, I don't want to say mentorship, but almost like a peership, if we could use that as an expression in your, your working community. Thinking about your role in this mix, not only as, as a professional, but also as, as a teacher, what are your views around mentoring younger people and, and nurturing them to, to bring them up into the, the, the stream and succeed? I think that's, that's so important. Um, for me, it comes back to the idea that knowledge is only as good as what you do with it. So it doesn't help anyone if you have all of this um, information and all of this experience and you don't share it with others and you don't use it to, to help others along their journeys and along their way. Because um, essentially that is for me, I think what gives you fulfillment is having used it to the benefit of yourself as well as others. Um, mentorship is, is an important thing, I think, to, to help those that come after you to develop themselves. Um, and, and reach their own full potential. Um, so, for example, in, in, in our department, um, yes, I'm involved in teaching in terms of both undergraduate as well as postgraduate um, postgraduate students. And then I also do um, supervision of master's research and assist and, you know, even just informal assistance in terms of, of the, um, the registrars and the psychiatry trainees that we have in our department. Um, we do, and, and I think I'm quite fortunate to be part of this, but we do have quite a strong sense of um, support for junior staff um, in our department. And I think it, that's so important because like I said, um, it is all about how we, um, use what we have to uplift and develop those that are going to then come after us. And now lastly, as we close out today's conversation, please, can you use this platform to share a few words of inspiration, wisdom, motivation with a woman who are listening to us? Okay, so um, in the spirit of, of the discussion that we've had today around women and the importance of women, um, what I'm going to share is some quick words from a book called Dear Woman by Michael Reed, which I think is, is quite a fitting end to our discussion today. Um, and it goes like this. Um, Sometimes you'll just be too much woman, too smart, too beautiful, too strong, too much of something. That makes less of a man, which will start making you feel like you have to be less of a woman. The biggest mistake you can make is removing jewels from your crown to make it easier for a man to carry. When this happens, I need you to understand you don't need a smaller crown. You need a man with bigger hands. Wow, what a beautiful <laughs> quote. 
Um, I'm quite fond of poetry as well. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. That's um, really unique, really special, and something that I think we all need to hear. I'm happy to have had this opportunity. So thank you so much for that. It's been a pleasure hosting you. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and we have been talking to Dr. Yumna Minty, who is a specialist psychiatrist and also lectures in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of the Witwatersrand.